Uh, I want to begin um, just by saying it was actually several years ago I had the first college-age student mention to me the word Enneagram, and I was completely ignorant about it. I asked even one of my professors uh, at the time in the biblical counseling program who wasn't sure exactly what I was talking about. But in the last uh, few years, it has uh, exploded in the evangelical world, uh, which is kind of alarming when we find out what we're going to be talking about. But I need to give credit where credit is due. Uh, The vast majority of uh, the in-depth research was done by uh, Dr. Ren Cherry in this book right here, The Enneagram, Is It Christian? Question mark. And he also has a little the Enneagram and the Biblical Counselor little pamphlet. Both of them are chock full of uh, theological, but much further than we're going to be able to get into this morning. I, uh, he has about nine podcasts up on the, AC, the Biblical Counseling website. He's done a, um, what do you call it? Uh, I'm not thinking of the word. An actual online class that you could log into. And he's written these two books. And I listened to all of that stuff, and then I sent an email to him and told him I was going to be teaching on this, and uh, would he mind sharing some of his notes from uh, the class, and he gladly sent them to me. So I'm not plagiarizing. (laughs) I'm giving credit where credit is due. But uh, as I said, um, just became aware of this thing called the Enneagram, and uh, one of the responses I get often is, isn't that just the latest form of personality tests that have been around for many, many years? And I was willing to accept that at first, but I don't anymore. Um, it's actually far worse than that. Now, the history of personality typing is... Uh, really about, right, you see there, a little over 100, 110 years old. Uh, Prior to that, there's no record of anybody trying to type a person's personality or any reason to do so. And in 1910, phrenology was uh, used, and it reached its peak in 1840, but actually... Uh, it, it shared a fair amount of popularity into the 19th century. This is where uh, a specialist would come in and measure an individual's scalp, and that's what's happening here. And that was based on uh, this mapping that was put together by um, Franz Joseph Gall, German doctor, in the 19th century, And he's mapped out in the brain where all this thinking takes place. And so the theory was then, wherever the biggest bulges are, that's what your, you know, your personality would come out of that. Now, here's an example uh, in the book (laughs) of phrenology. Guy looks like a mobster, doesn't he? 
I don't think we needed a test for that one. <laughs> now, this person is extremely dangerous because all of the brutality and everything that uh, happens in the brain happens right by the ears, and he has a big bulge there. And by the way, phrenology has been completely discredited by scientific research. I hope that didn't take them too long. Next we have Rorschach, is how I'm pronouncing it. I'm going to butcher 90% of these German names and the Russian names. They're not important for you to remember. The Inkblot Test. Uh, He developed this system to diagnose schizophrenia. That's what he was working on. And he developed this scale right here. And uh, rather than just random splatters of paint, he meticulously designed these to be ambiguous, conflicted as possible, so that as he showed them to people, and he may have had a question, what does this look like, or does this look this, this, and he starts recording all of their answers. He's not only um, working with those in a mental institution suffering from schizophrenia, but also the general public to get a a scale, a a difference between the two. And after many years of testing, he began to recognize that similar groups of people with, with the same personality began to answer the questions very similarly. Now, this was a side note to his Research and he was very skeptical of the whole thing. It wasn't until after he, was, he died in 1922. So in 1939, someone who ran across his uh, work put a personality test together out of his work, which again, he was very skeptical about um, through that whole time. Next, we have the Minnesota... Multi-plastic personality inventory. Um, This was put together uh, in response to Rorschach's method, which they considered very artistic, and the American psychologist Starkey Hathaway and American neurologist uh, J.C. McKinley, they developed this Minnesota multi-plastic personality inventory, and that was actually out of the Uh, Minnesota uh, University, and uh, they began their research in 39 uh, through 43. So the difference between um, their method and the ones uh, up to this point is um, the fact that they wanted to make it as uh, scientific as possible in response, again, as I said, to Rohr's ink blots. So the original test had 527 questions uh, that the individual filled out, and then the psychologist would run those through um, their model that they have, and they would give a psychiatric report based on their research that looks something like this. So they had... uh, This was, uh, again, a secular psychologist's systematic 
way of reporting. And I think all of these up to this point, as you can tell by the names on the side, if you can read they're looking for what they would call mental illness. Uh, they're, they're not, they weren't designed in the first place to be a personality uh, tests at all. Next, we have the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Myers-Briggs, again, sounds like a fancy university or some sort of a big uh, consort of psychologists. But meet uh, Isabel Briggs Myers and her mother, Catherine Cook Briggs, and they based this off of Carl Jung's theology on psychological types. But the purpose um, behind that was that they wanted to make it as uh, kind of take Carl Jung's theory that was quite um, academic, if you will, and turn it into something that the average person could use. So in other words, the MTBI test was intended to give clarity and understanding of a person's personality in a practical kind of way. So there are 16 different types in this test, and there's a, there's a huge shift here. Up to this point, there have always been some kind of specialist measuring your skull or psychologically evaluating your questions or whatever. It is now switched to uh, you, uh, take you determining which one of these places you fit into. And, and that's, uh, that carries on over. Anyway, so you have, oh, I went the wrong direction. You have question number one, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Number two, are you sensing or intuitive? Are you thinking or feeling? Are you judging or what is that? Representing, or, uh, perceiving, perceiving. I, don't, I think that's misspelled on the screen. Anyway, oh, there it is. That turns out to be this. So depending on how you answer each of these questions, you have 16 possibilities of uh, your type. Now... Today, the test, this test, is probably the one that most companies and corporations use um, to uh, help team building and conflict prevention or leadership development. And again, these are psychological uh, evaluations. So for the unbeliever, that's all they have, right? They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have... um, the Bible, to understand themselves. So this is all they have, is uh, personality typing. And there's, I, th- I think the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems with this is like any psychological uh, uh, definition given or, or um, I'm, I'm fighting for the right word, Anyway, when you go and get a definition, say, I'm, I'm, I'm an INTJ, then at that point, it's kind of like, well, I've been labeled now. I have a disease. This is my disease. 
and I'm never going to change, and you just have to put up with it. So I don't know how that builds team building, but <clears throat> this is what a lot of people are using right now. And I say, and again, for the unbeliever, this is what they have to work with. And despite its popularity, uh, it is it has uh, the non it is non scientific according to the scientific community. All right. And that brings us then to the Enneagram, why we're here this morning. And I am flying through this. We may be done way early. I hope that's all right. The Enneagram, as I said, I just found out about it, uh, heard about it recently. And when I ran into Ren Cherry uh, at the ACBC conference, I'd heard that he'd written on it, had, did a, uh, some seminars on it, and I decided to... Uh, to investigate it. So the exact origin of the Enneagram symbol is unknown. Some people believe it goes all the way back to the Babylonian era, and some Christians who are trying to uh, Christianize this thing try to take it back to some uh, into the era of the early church fathers, which is, uh, is not the case. Others believe Others believe the mystic Sufi Muslims of Central Asia developed it in the late 16th century. And again, it had nothing to do at this time it had nothing to do with personality types at all. It's just a symbol um, that these mystic Muslims used, and I think we need to define the term uh, mystic because we're going to see it. Uh, we're going to see it quite often. There are two things, main, two main things that mystics believe. First, that they have attained a level of divine insight or understanding that transcends ordinary human knowledge, and two. Therefore, they can, um, no, I'm sorry. Um, therefore, they can communicate directly with the divine or God or eventually become one with God. Now, those are their words. Obviously, we would put a small g there because this is not the God of the Bible that these Muslims are using. But there is no doubt uh, at all, or little doubt, I should say, that it was the mystic Russian philosopher, I don't know, how would you pronounce that, Gurdjieffel, and I'm sure that's an American translation of a Russian name that uh, your tongue wouldn't move in that direction anyway. <laughs> he learned this uh, while he was in Afghanistan, moving too fast. And um, he brought it, he's the one who brought it into the Western world in the early 1900s. Now, he used the symbol to teach his students mysterious esoteric subjects. So far to hear anything biblical or 
even psychological, it gets worse. And actually, I've seen uh, diagrams of uh, these monks, you know, holding strings in the form of this emeogram and somebody wandering around in the middle. Uh, This is the type of thing that they were doing with it. So enter Oscar Ichigaz goes, I don't know. During the 1950s and 1960s, Oscar, a Bolivian, developed the application of the Enneagram symbol in relation to human personality. He claimed to have learned this from Afghan Sufi Muslims, we already saw them, the masters, before he came upon Gertefeld's writing on the subject. So his work on the Enneagram was part of a larger work he called Photo analysis, a mixture of mysticism, astrology, mantras, and physical organs. He had um, two students. Najaro did, um, yeah, Claudio Narajano, Jano, a Fulbright scholar. Did somebody actually pronounce it for me? <laughs> anyway, these names are not important. <laughs> You've got the picture there. Narna Nanjo, yeah. <laughs> A Fulbright scholar, Fulbright scholar, and Gestalt, the psychologist, studied photo analysis with Isaac. Caro, and brought this whole thing to the United States, or to the Western world, I should say, in the 1970s. Najaro eventually combined all of this, the psychology and the photo analysis, and overlaid the nine Enneagram types onto the Enneagram symbol. So he started to put personality types to it. Now, uh, Naranjo here, he did this during a period of time in what he called automatic writing. And there's a YouTube video about him on on YouTube of him talking about this process. He essentially says the idea is you simply turn off your mind and let your hand do the writing. In Najaro's case, he claimed that the Enneagram's personality types were given to him by a spirit called Metatron. So he began teaching um, the Enneatypes in the Eslan Institute in Big Sur. Here's the picture of the Eslan Institute in Big Sur. This little cabin-like thing hanging off the cliff in the rocks outside of Big Sur. He was teaching this in the 1970s. And if you remember what was going on in the 1970s, there was a lot of drugs. There was a hippie movement. There were communes there right in that area, huge. 
I wouldn't doubt there was some LSD involved in his research. But this was the foundation of most Enneagram personality tests today. This was the foundation. This is where it came from. So one of this gentleman's students, again, uh, Claudio, we'll just call him Claudio, was an American Jesuit priest named Robert Orch, Och, 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 Ox. There you go. That Robert, yes, sir. So Claudio was teaching Robert in the um, in the um, cliff hanging over over the ocean there, um, and he. He was an American Jesuit priest, and he began adapting his own handwritten notes onto the Enneagram types to meet Catholic spiritual formation and counseling needs for seminaries of lay people. In 1974, the Enneagram materials for the use in Jesuit retreats had developed into one-page sketches of each of the nine different personality types in their seminaries. Now, these two men, um, okay, so he began to teach Don Rizzo, and Richard Rohr. These two wrote books on the Enneagram based on uh, Robert's teaching. Don Rizzo, I keep wrong direction, sorry. So there you go. There, there's all the characters. Robert is now instructing two Catholic priests Richard Rohr and Don Rizzo, on the benefits of the Enneagram. Rizzo wrote this book, Personality Types, Using the Enneagram for Self-Discovery, and Richard Rohr wrote Discovering the Enneagram, an Ancient Tool for a New Spiritual Journey. Now, once this started catching on, in the evangelical world, Richard Rohr uh, did a little bit of editing, not much from what I'm told, and republished the book, An Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. And this is the book. He is the gentleman, Richard Rohr now, is the individual who is spreading this to all of the evangelicals that are coming to listen to his seminars. which uh, raises questions about these evangelicals. But he is the one who is propagating all of this stuff. So we need to take a look at his theology. What kind of theology is he teaching in his seminars? And what kind of theology then is being put into the books that are being printed by evangelicals and distributed in Christian bookstores 
by so-called Christian authors and publishers. First of all, the incarnation. The incarnation. Rohr believes that multiple incarnations occurred at creation. He maintains that at creation, God universally indwelt all things, including mankind. Therefore, all things are divine in nature. However, the Bible says there was only one incarnation. It was limited to Jesus Christ, as we read in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What about his anthropology? His incarnation produces a flawed anthropology, as you would imagine. Uh, Rohr believes his presupposition is that man has a good, true self, a good, true self, and that has existed since creation. He teaches that since creation, God indwells everything in his creation, including mankind. In other words, he rejects Adam's original sin and that separating us from God. And that leads him to believe in his own mind that it only appears to man that he is separated from God. And as we'll find out later, all you need is the Enneagram to connect your already true good self um, and, and believe in that. So anyway, we understand what the Bible says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What about his soteriology, salvation? As I uh, suggested, Rohr characterized the problem of man being separated from God is only in man's mind, that man's pressing need is to use the Enneagram to discover his good, true self. However, uh, Isaiah 59.2, as well as many others, says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that um, he does not hear. I could use many other uh, passages, but that one works just, well, just right for now. Which direction am I going here? Sorry. All right. <laughs> I am sorry. I'm getting kind of mixed up here. All right. One more. His uh, perennialism. Rohr's perennialism. And if you don't know what that means, we'll explain it here in a minute. He teaches that there are many paths to God. He has been influenced by uh, Huxley's work, the perennial philosophy that teaches that there are multiple paths to God. Um, 
Perennialism is a pluralism teaching that all major religions, including Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all different forms of a divine wisdom that leads to the same God. And John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now let's look at the evangelicals that Rohr has influenced in regard to the Enneagram. Now these evangelicals have gone to his seminars and they've been influenced by his theology, as well as the demon, whatever his name was, Metatron. And, um, and these books are being pushed, have been pushed for a long time. I suppose in some regards we're um, a little behind the curve. The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Crone and uh, Suzanne Stable. Now, they were married at the time they wrote the book. They're divorced now, so I guess it didn't work so well for them. But uh, this is the Enneagram's journey to self-discovery. Next, you have uh, Christopher Hertz, we'll call him. Uh, He wrote the Sacred Enneagram with a foreword. If you can read that, there's a foreword by Richard Rohr right in it, a a mystic Catholic priest endorsing a Christian book. He says, Rohr's influence on these authors, uh, uh, I'm saying, oh, finding your, here it is, finding your unique path to spiritual growth. So everybody has their own path, unlike what the Bible says. Rohr's influence on these authors is, and, their, and his theology is evidenced by their extensive use of the term true self or good true self. But perhaps one of the most disturbing is Beth McCord and Jeff McCord. She gets top billing. She's the one that was influenced by the Enneagram. Jeff is a Presbyterian pastor. And he said that he's kind of scanned the book, but Beth, his wife, has devoured it and has changed her marriage. She has uh, taken her husband to a number of Roar's seminars, and they've written this book. They also have a podcast, and they have a website. I think you can see the website uh, right above their names, uh, yourenagramcoach.com. So um, you can see now that it has deeply embedded itself into Christianity if we have a uh, Presbyterian pastor teaching the Enneagram, which means that today, probably more than any time in history, uh, we need to have discernment before we go and pick up a book that's labeled Christian. All major publishers today of Christian books uh, are no longer published by a Christian publisher that's actually monitoring in any way. They all belong to huge corporations, and all they're interested in it is money. The Road Back to You was put out by InterVarsity Press, probably been through many, many universities. The Sacred Enneagram by Zondervan, 
and Becoming Us was by Morgan James Publisher, their faith department. So you can no, no longer count on a Christian publisher publishing a book that is in any way biblical. And that's why uh, here in our bookstore, what we used to call the book shack, um, the men there are, are very particular about what they put on those shelves. That if, if you go buy a book there, you can be assured that it has a Christian uh, perspective to it, and uh, you wouldn't be led astray. But this Enneagram thing is sweeping through the younger generation. I don't know how many of you have heard about it. Some of you have heard about it, maybe because you're here. But I hear uh, from some of the people that work in the college and the high school ministry that many young people are running across this book and, uh, or this theology, this system. And I've, most of them I've talked to, you know, I haven't gone into this in depth with them, but they'll tell me, well, this is just the latest version of Myers-Briggs. But it's really not. It's really not uh, the latest version of Myers-Briggs. It, it is insidious. It is demonic. It is anti-Christian. And it produces any one of these, any one of these psychological tests can produce a victim mentality. You know, I took the test, and I'm deter- you know, I've determined that I'm an angry, I don't know, fill in the blank, and that's who I am, and you just got to put up with it, right? Like somebody who's diagnosed with bipolar, or somebody's diagnosed schizophrenia, or somebody's diagnosed whatever the psychological diagnosis is, they now have a disease, and they're going to have it for the rest of their lives, and there's no cure for it. Uh, that is uh, that is unbiblical, and uh, the personality types. And I didn't even get too much into some of the compatibility stuff, but this uh, it, a little bit of that in uh, Briggs Myers. Um, this is also used for uh, people trying to figure out whether they're compatible or not. Um, for marriage, let's say. So they would take one of these tests to determine whether they are compatible for marriage. The scripture says you're compatible for marriage if you're both believers, and that's the only... It's a good idea if you like one another. <laughs> but if you're both believers and you're willing to obey the scriptures and defer to the other person and be humble, you can make a go of it. Remember, there were periods of time in history when your parents determined who you were going to marry, and you didn't have much choice in the matter. Um, so the trouble there is someone takes the two, the couples take the test, the personality compatibility test after they're married, and they realize they're completely incompatible. So their marriage is done. It's doomed. They got married, and they didn't realize they were incompatible. You can see what uh, of travesty this can be in different areas. Well, that's really all that I had this morning. I, uh, when I had eight pages this morning, I thought that I would run over, but we're finished a little early, so you can have an extra little extra time to um, fellowship. I suppose I should ask, I should ask if anyone has any questions, and uh, we can talk about, we can do it uh, with the whole group, or if you want, you can come up and talk to me afterwards. Anybody have anything they want to ask?
All right. Yes. Uh, in the automatic writing. Yes. Naranjo, this uh, Claudio Naranjo, said that while he was at the uh, institute there in um, Big Sur, where, did you see that portion of it? Did you see that portion of my, did you just come in or what? Anyway, this gentleman, Naranjo, who was the one who put the types, the, um, the enneotypes into personalities, connected the enneagram to personalities, uh, received that information while he was in a um, seance type of a um, And not in his right mind, let's put it that way. He says the idea is to simply turn off your mind, let your hand do the writing. In this case, he claims that the Enneagram personality types came to him and was given to him by a spirit called Metatron. So he was in some sort of a seance trance um, that was not logical or biblical, and these types were given to him by this demonic individual. That's where I came up with that. Anybody else? I had a hand up over here. Yes? Yeah, well, I would say, as I said before, a, a test like the Myers-Briggs that's very popular, a lot of people take them, a lot of companies use them, uh, it's a psychological test, and for unbelievers, psychology is all they have to understand themselves. And so if that in some way helps a corporation to have everybody take a Myers-Briggs test and get a type set so that you, I guess your employees understand you know, your personality to a degree and that helps them interact with those people, that's fine. But, you know, for Christians, you know, I guess the only type we have are believers and unbelievers, or obedient Christians or disobedient Christians, however you want to say it. But if, spirit, Well, spiritual gifts are different. I'm not talking about spiritual gifts here. That's totally... I will say this. If you'd have come to this church in the 1980s, you would have been given a similar test to determine what your spiritual gift is, which is totally misrepresenting spiritual gifts and using psychology to do so. Um, a spiritual gift is something that's been given to you by the Holy Spirit when you're saved. It's not a natural ability. 
you might be an introvert or extrovert, but that's not your spiritual gift, right? Your spiritual gift is something that's given to you uh, when you become a believer. Now, as our pastor teaches, everyone has a panoply of all of the spiritual gifts. It's just that you're dominant in one. In other words, if you weren't given the gift of mercy, it doesn't mean you don't have to show mercy, right? It's just that that's not your dominant gift. But if you're a believer, you have been given a complete panoply of all of the spiritual gifts. They are accessible to you through the Holy Spirit. You will just be dominant in one of them. And um, the way we generally tell people to to do that is just get started serving, you know, start stacking the chairs or whatever. And as time goes on, you know, you'll determine uh, what your spiritual gift is. If you start uh, doing something and somebody comes along and says, you know, this is not your spiritual gift. <laughs> <clears throat> or they say, you know, maybe you would fit in better over here. I mean, that, that's, I see that as completely different, but it has similarities. Yes. Okay, another one. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, the the book I'm going to recommend is a gentleman that I know. He's a professor at, uh, I believe it's Midwestern University, and a member of ACBC. He's one of the uh, employees there, actually. Ren Cherry. Ren Cherry, Enneagram, Is It Christian? Enneagram Theology, Is It Christian? Uh, this is one of the key resources that I used for this, and he goes into much more detail. If you're interested, pick up a copy of this. If you want a quick reference, The Enneagram and the Biblical Counselor, again by Ren Cherry. Um, this gives you just a brief overview of what we discussed this morning. But... Um, yeah, I'd, I had no idea what I was going to find when I started this. I, I figured I would be dealing with psychology and, and worldly thinking. I had no idea of the uh, dark, very dark uh, beginnings of this uh, Enneagram thing. Yes? Well, it's very similar. Um, I haven't studied that in depth. I, I had meant to do that more so when I put the original title on there that talked about the four love languages. But again, I, I was talking to a young man uh, the other day that said, well, I'm trying to figure out what my wife's love languages are, and it appears she has all of them. 
And I said, the scriptures are very clear what her love language is, and it's you die to yourself and serve her like Christ served the church. That's her love language. Uh, I, I give no credence to love language at all. Another psychological uh, try to attempt to try to, um, to do what the scriptures do for believers. All right, I think our time is up. If you have any more questions, please come and see me. You're dismissed.